Thank you for listening to the Calvary Church Podcast. If this ministry has been a blessing to you, would you let us know? Send an email to toledocalvary.org. We would love to hear what God is doing in your life today. Well, good morning. Man, I am so happy to be here with you. And thanks for joining us online and in person in A2. Welcome. Uh, man, I, I'm really just so honored uh, anytime Pastor Chad asks me to share. It's just a privilege. Been a part of Calvary, like he mentioned, for so long. So Calvary is home and, and love being a part of it. Uh, but would encourage you, if you brought your Bibles or however you have that, we're going to be in Mark chapter 4 today. You can go ahead and open up uh, in that passage. But I want to kind of start off and share a little bit. Growing up, uh, my family, like, we spent a lot of time on boats. So growing up, we had a campground. We were up on a lake in Michigan. And so uh, anything from fishing, which I still love to do to this day, to the water sports, wakeboarding, kneeboarding, like, man, I can, my, my childhood was just filled with those memories of just great times out on the boat. Um, and so something I can always remember is my dad was always the captain of the boat. And as a child, like I was always asking, dad, can I drive the boat? And, uh, you know, he, he never just released the reins to me, but would say, yeah, come on over here. You can steer while I hold you. But my dad was always the captain of the boat. He was the navigator. He was the one who was leading us along. And so as we've gone out on Lake Erie and on different lakes and whatnot, he's always been the driver. And I can remember we were out on Lake Erie this one particular time fishing, and it was a beautiful day. Waves were very light, was not crazy. Like it was just a perfect day for fishing. And then, uh, with the sun shining, all of a sudden, what happened was we started to see the, dark, the sky turn dark and clouds just like, like move in. And all I can remember hearing is my dad say, go get the anchor, we gotta book it. <laughs> and I was like, oh boy, like this was like one of my first times out on Lake Erie. And all I can remember is halfway back, we just got hit where waves were like one to three feet. They became almost like five to six in a matter of minutes. And I can remember the choppiness and the storm that started to come and the rain that started to beat down in that moment. And so the story we're going to be looking at today in Mark chapter 4 is a story where Jesus calms the storm that the disciples and himself find themselves in. And so before we dig into the passage this morning, I want to kind of set up a little bit of the context for it. Set the scene so that we can put ourselves in the place of what was, was happening. And so if you read in the book of Mark and kind of his in take on the early ministry of Jesus, Jesus is going around and beginning his ministry and, and, and beginning to preach about faith and beginning to preach about what it means to be a follower of Christ and how to live and the right ways to go. And if you look at Mark in particular, you start out, you'll see some pretty familiar stories that Jesus is teaching a crowd. He's in a boat at this point preaching to a crowd because name and, and, and word is spread about all the great miracles and teaching and just the miraculous power that he was showing to all people. And so crowds started coming when they heard the name of Jesus. So they found themselves in this place where Jesus, because of how vast the crowds were, preached from a boat because they had ministry to get to afterwards. And so he's preaching all day long in the hot sun. And if you've ever been on a boat, you know you don't have to be doing much when the sun is shining that by the end of the day, you're going to be drained. The sun is going to drain it when you're out on the water. Uh, and, and so he was preaching all day from the boat. And then they begin uh, this journey in the night to go back and go to the next place of ministry. 
And as I was reading the story, and we're going to look a little bit more at some of the, the beginning context and the story itself in just a moment, I couldn't help but think about just our lives and what Jesus has called us to as followers of him. You see, when Jesus made the call to the, to the disciples, he said, hey, the fishermen in particular, do you want to become fishers of men? Do you want to make disciples? Do you want to find a new purpose that I have for your life? And in being a follower of Jesus, we accept that same commission. We accept that commission to go and, and sail through our life, if you will, through the waters, through where God is leading us to the places of ministry and mission, not just as pastors, but as followers of God who loves him. And so as we, we talk about that, I know most of us probably don't use sailing as our primary forms of communication, especially in the middle of winter in Northwest Ohio. Like I'm fully aware of this. But if you could put yourself in and in, in think through these things in the context of saying in your life, in your faith, as you're sailing through your life, there will be times when storms come and hit your boat. There will be times that you find yourself in the middle of struggle. There will be times that you find yourself questioning your faith. There will be times where things that you didn't plan for or weren't expecting happen. And as we talk through all of this, I, I, the, the theme of the day, and, and you're going to kind of pick up on this if you haven't already, is that we can't forget who is in the boat with us. Don't forget who's in your boat. Because when we read this story, we're going we're gonna to really focus on the disciples in this story because they were the ones who were walking with Jesus, following him, but were people who in the middle of their storm had lost sight of who was with them through it. And as we walk through this passage we're going to jump into, I want to give us three reminders for every storm. So three reminders for every storm. Let's start with number one. Number one is this, is that when the storms rage, don't forget who is in your boat. When the storms rage, don't forget who is in your boat. We've talked about how life in, in, in just this world we live in will throw things at you that you probably are not always prepared for. Let's take a look at this story. Mark chapter four, we're gonna start in verse 35. This is what it says. As evening came, Jesus said to his disciples, let's cross to the other side of the lake. So they took Jesus in the boat and started out, leaving the crowds behind, although some other boats followed. So think about this. Jesus is preaching in the boat. He's trying to get away from the crowds, but yet also boats are following him to his next mission. Like there's so much that Jesus is doing. People just want to be with him and follow him. But soon a fierce storm came up. High waves were breaking into the boat and it began to fill with water. And we see in this moment, that after a busy day of speaking, after a busy day of ministry, after a busy day of teaching, as they're just journeying to the next spot to go and do some more, a storm arrives. Now, the Sea of Galilee, if you're not familiar with it, is a big lake, essentially. And what happens is the Jordan River flows into it. And so I actually have a picture here to kind of give us a visual of, of what a beautiful day at the Sea of Galilee or the lake would look like. And if you can notice from the perspective of this picture, you can see that you're, you're probably up at a high vantage point where it was taken. And if you look in the background, you can see that there's, there's high hills or, or mountains that kind of surround the, the lake as well. And what's significant about that is, in, in just for you to know, the lake is 640 feet below sea level. 
So not only is it below sea level, but then you've got these mountains that are around it. And what's significant about this is that storms are known to pop up on the Sea of Galilee, ferocious storms. The reason they become so ferocious and come out of nowhere is because as wind and weather travel up over the mountains, those pressure systems hit the water, which creates this chaotic storm fronts at different times. And so as, as people who were familiar with this region and familiar with the landscape, they would recognize that, yeah, there are times where you do not want to be out on the Sea of Galilee. Like you need to be home. You need to hunker down. What else is, is interesting about this, and you can see different instances of this in the Bible, but oftentimes the fishermen and those who would make their living in this town would go out and would fish all night long because the pressure systems and the likelihood of storms popping up and rolling in were significantly less at night than they were during the day. The, the, the realities of the atmosphere around. But you see something different take place in this story. You see that in the middle of the night, after a busy day of ministry, that a storm rose up. And the reality is this, Jesus is, was, was doing foundational ministry. If you look back at Mark chapter four, you see the parables that he shares of the parable of the sower. You'll see the parable of the mustard seed and the parable of the lamp on the stand. And essentially, if you want to like summarize what all three of those parables were before this moment, is they are parables of faith. They were parables of building faith. The parable of the sower, the seed that spreads and the one that takes root in good soil is the one that will grow up, but the ones that fall on path will be choked out. Like he's talking about the different people and the way their faith takes root. He's talking about how those who have faith also, it's like a lamp on a stand. You don't put something over it. You let the light shine for all to see. And as I was reading through these stories and preparing for this, I couldn't help but think that this wasn't a coincidental teaching moment that Jesus was making before the storm arised. Like, I, I, there's nowhere to really back it up, but if you see the process of it, Jesus is preaching about faith and teaching about faith, not just to the crowds, but to those who were in the boat. And then they experienced this faith-challenging moment. You see, storms will test your faith-defining experiences. When God is doing something in your life, when you are saying, hey, God, I, wanna, I, I don't want to stay in my box anymore. I want to take that step. I want to get out of my comfort zone. I'm going to trust what you have asked me to do. That when you take those steps, that there will be challenges and there will be storms that will test those moments of faith. When I was uh, a senior in high school, and I'll, I'll make a long story short, I basically had an experience at a youth convention where God radically just got a hold of me by using somebody I had never met to call me back into pursuing ministry. I had left it all throughout my youth years. You know, I grew up at Calvary. I was, I was here. I was serving. I was doing it all, but I was not pursuing ministry as God had called me. I was running from it. And God got a hold of me. And, and ever since that moment, my life, I, I, I've made the decision that, Lord, I'm going to trust in you and lead me into the path you have. And so I pursued ministry, you know? And so uh, just super blessed, like been the middle school pastor here for the last seven years now, which is crazy to think about. Uh, but just really, as I, I was reflecting back on those first couple years from that calling point to, to getting hired here at Calvary. And as I was 
taking the classes, as I was learning what it means to be a pastor, as I did an internship, as I would take these steps of trying to grow and expand my faith and trust God to lead me, not really knowing what opportunities would come next. I can remember my first year kind of on the job here at Calvary, just being so zealous for youth ministry. Like, man, CSM is going to like go to new levels. Like I was just, I believe that God wanted to do something mighty and powerful at work and, and really have seen that over the years. But can I tell you that first year of ministry, as much as it came with a lot of highs, me as a person and as a pastor, I experienced a lot of lows and storms that first year. That first year, I lost an immediate family member. That first year, our youth group lost one of our peers. That first year, on what seemed to be on a weekly basis, more and more students would come out about their sin addictions and their struggles and their self-harm issues. And what seemed to be something that was plaguing our youth just continued to multiply week after week after week. And for somebody who was 21 years old, zealous to be able to say, God, I can't wait for what's next. I was really questioning a lot. God, why is this happening? God, what, what is the purpose in this? I thought we were gonna go to those new levels. Like, why is this happening? Because storms will test your faith-defining experiences. And I don't know about you, but when I've been in a spot personally where I say, God, I want something more than what I have right now. God, I need you to do a work in my life. God, I want you to help take my faith to the next level. That the devil is the one who comes against that. You see, the devil, and, and I've heard this, this spoken before, like the devil doesn't have to worry about idle faith Christians. The devil doesn't have to worry about those who just show up and leave and do nothing with it. The devil doesn't have to worry about those who are just claiming the title but not backing it up with their lives. The devil is looking for those who are taking steps to, to grow in the Lord, who are looking to take steps to break the strongholds, that are looking to get rid of the sin. In 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 8, it, it talks about just kind of how the devil works and gives an illustration view of this. He says this, Stay alert. Watch out for your great enemy, the devil. He prowls around like a roaring lion, lion looking for someone to devour. Stand firm against him, and be strong in your faith. Remember that your family of believers all over the world is going through the same kind of sufferings you are. That verse is an encouragement to say, hey, you gotta be alert, but also be ready because it's gonna happen. Don't expect bad things aren't gonna happen. Don't expect struggles aren't gonna happen. Don't expect storms to just never plague you. And I think there's been times where we get in the church or we get into our faith and we believe that, man, if I just commit to God, my life is going to be on to the next. Man, God's going to work mightily. God's going to do awesome things. And God will, but sometimes you got to go through the storms with that. Sometimes you got to recognize that that's going to aggravate somebody else, which is going to bring trials and troubles to your life. When God's doing something in your life at a retreat, in your personal life, at church, but then you go back to work and it becomes a struggle where your moral ethics are challenged in your job, where your faith is challenged in the way that you live, storms will happen. 
when you're trying to bring reconciliation in relationships that are broken, and yet your marriage continues to be plagued, your relationship with your children or with your family continues to deteriorate. Storms will come and attack you when God is trying to do a work. Struggles that have never been a struggle for you. Anxiety that when you've never been an anxious, anxious person. Depression when you've never been depressed. Things will come up because the devil is looking to take out those that God is doing a work in. But know this, prepared faith can withstand unexpected storms. When your faith is prepared, when you're putting in the effort to prepare your faith, it's not that the storms aren't going to do damage. It's not that the storms won't be difficult, but that you can have a solid foundation so that you can weather the storm. Think about stories throughout the Old Testament or just in the Bible in general. David didn't just show up and deliver lunch to his brothers while they were out there and see this giant and be like, I can take him. He spent time worshiping God alone in the field with the sheep and defending them from lions and bears and things that were trying to attack and take their lives. It wasn't the moment with Goliath that defined his faith. It was the preparation that led him to that moment. What about Noah and the ark? In a wicked world, the righteous man in the midst was the one that God spoke to. Said, hey, build a big boat so that you'll be safe. The reality is there's no water to be found. It didn't make sense. But there was faith where God was preparing him for the storm. If Noah would have waited for the storms to start, he would have been dead with the rest. But preparation takes place. One more. Daniel in the lion's den. Did Daniel start praying when he found himself in the lion's den? No, his prayer and preparation and consistency in God's presence is what got him put into the lion's den. But you also see with all of these stories that God is at work. There's a direct relation to their relationship with God, their preparation of their faith that allows them to weather the storms they face. And so we have to be mindful and prepared so that our faith can withstand the unexpected storms. Because you can't control when the health diagnosis come your way. You can't control when you lose somebody unexpectedly. You can't control what other people in your life will say or do to you. But what you can prepare for and root your hope in is the promise of God and the reality that there's somebody who is with you in life, who is in your boat, that will help you navigate the storms that rage. And can I encourage you? There's a few tips I have just if you are somebody who would say, you know what, I'm, I'm dealing with a storm right now. And I'll just, they're not profound, but they're reminding, they're very good to be reminded of. So a few things, a few tips that can help you with the storms you might find yourself in. Number one is this, is seek God. I think a lot of times we seek for all other validation and other people's opinions and other people's experiences, which carry value, but nothing compares to the, to the grace and to the wisdom that comes from our heavenly father. The one who is bigger than the storm you face and the one that is with you through all things. Number two is this, is seek counsel. 
I'm as guilty of anybody at certain points in my life saying I can handle it. Man, when I'm struggling with something that, man, it's tough, I can deal with it. Guess what? There's been a lot of times where I can deal with it has led me into a much deeper hole than I, could have, than I should be in. And so there are some points where you might be so deep in something that you really can't get out of that you need to seek counsel. Professionally, you need to find it, however that is. And there's no shame in that. That it begins the process of restoration. And it's not that you don't have faith, it's that you're looking to make yourself better and move forward in what God has for you. Number three is this, is seek community. And I promise you, Pastor Chris did not pay me to say this one. Um, But he summed it up so well, and Sandy did in the video. Life groups are important. Like, I spent the first four or five years of my life, uh, or not my life, but my time here at Calvary, uh, not plugged into a life group. I was the pastor, I was serving, I was connected, I had people, but I wasn't getting that life-filling community that I needed. And so we were seeing the effects of that in a very negative way in, in our marriage, in our family, and we recognized that, you know what, I know life is busy, I know life is hectic, we had two little kids, but this is something that we believe we need to do. And can I tell you, like the last couple of years, it's been so transformational, like the relationships that we've been able to build through that, the, the, the times where we've been down in our storms, or other people have, the, the support that comes around, it's Galatians 6 lived out, that when people need their burdens carried, that there's the church that there's, that's there to carry it. Community has been so transformational for my life on a personal level, that man, if you are stuck in your storm, if you are stuck in your struggle, and are needing some help, man, I would encourage you, find community. Find community, seek God, find counsel if that's what you need because storms will be difficult. And I can always remember this message and I think I shared this in a sermon I I spoke last time. If you've been around, you've probably heard this, but I don't remember a ton of messages growing up through youth group and kids church, but I can remember an instance where my youth pastor, Greg Ford, coming off a retreat, told us, hey, what God did in your life this weekend you have to be ready to defend when you go back home. And so he said, hey, when you walk out of here, when you've experienced new faith levels, be ready for new devils. He's saying, hey, when you are leaving this place, what you surrendered at the altar, be ready to defend against when you go back home. And he said, throw your dukes up. Because if you don't go home with your dukes up, you're going to be beat. If you don't go up with defense, if you don't go up and defend what God did in your life, then you're gonna lose what he did. And for you, if you're in a storm, man, we're gonna look here in just a few moments. Like some of you might be like, yeah, it's too late for me to prepare, I'm in it. Like what do I do when I'm already drowning in it? We're gonna look a little bit here at, at, at what the disciples' reaction were, but really what Jesus was able to do in the middle of a storm. But I would encourage you, don't forget or don't neglect your preparation for those moments so that you can be ready when those storms attack you. Because when the storms rage, don't forget who's in your boat. Number two, when it seems like Jesus is nowhere to be found, don't forget who's in your boat. When it seems like Jesus is nowhere to be found, don't forget who is in your boat. Peter, Andrew, James, and John were four of Jesus' 12 disciples, and those four were, were fishermen. So by trade, that's what they did with their life before. And so for them, 
Going back to this Mark passage, you, you, they find themselves in a storm in the middle of the night. They knew that was the better time to travel. Um, but I gotta, I gotta think, the scripture doesn't expound on this, but in their, their life of, of traveling and fishing on the, the sea, that they had probably experienced storms at some point in their life. Um, that there was probably times where, where it was mild storms, but then they probably experienced some of the ferocious storms. And uh, I gotta imagine that they probably knew some people who had gone out to do their life and, and to live their life and to work and to fish who didn't come back. I gotta imagine that if the storms are as fierce as what the scripture describes it and what has been seen in the Sea of Galilee, that there's probably been some where they know people who, who lost their lives in the middle of storms. So as the water is rushing and as the waves are crashing over the boat and as the boat is filling with water, I gotta imagine if I, if, if I was in that state on a human level, I would probably be pretty fearful myself. Like all reality side, because here's the reality. Fear is normal. Fear is a part of life. Fear is, is, is something that is real for a lot of us. But I want to look at what Jesus does, does in the story, because this is a pivotal point that really talks about who Jesus is. Let's go to verse 38 of Mark 4. So Jesus was sleeping at the back of the boat with his head on a cushion. The disciples woke him up shouting, teacher, don't you care that we're going to drown? And you see in this moment that the storms were raging, but Jesus is down sleeping in the boat. Can I share with you two observations that really stand out to me from this? Number one is, is this, like Jesus was sleeping at the back of the boat. And what happens is, is this, is you see, I believe you see Jesus' humanity come out here. Every week I, I, I hang out with the middle schoolers, you know, like I lead it every week. But can I tell you, I cannot wait to go home and take a nap. Like, <laughs> I love being a middle school pastor. Like, seriously, I love it. But my goodness, am I worn out by the end of the day. Speaking and dealing and playing gaga ball and it's, it's a tough. But, <laughs> but I always am looking forward to that, that Sunday afternoon nap. And you see Jesus in this moment. Man, he had a busy, long day in the sun, preaching to people, drained. Dude needed some sleep. But the other thing you see here in this, this, this passage is you see also his divinity. Because what happens when the storm is raging around him? You don't see him up freaking out, wondering why the water's pouring in the boat. You see him, his head asleep on a cushion because he knew who he was. He knew who had sent him to this world. He knew what his purpose was in this world. And his purpose was not to fall prey to a storm on the Sea of Galilee. To be the Messiah was what his purpose was. But what you see through all of this as well is that you see the disciples' fear caused them to respond to Jesus with unbelief. That any faith that they had in him led them to unbelief because of the circumstance of the storm around them. They forgot who was in their boat. You see, the, the fear of drowning is called aquaphobia. And if you have it, I'm sorry about what I'm going to talk about here right now. So, but the fear of drowning is called aquaphobia. And if you really kind of look into it, 
Uh, oftentimes, it stems from a traumatic experience at a young age. Uh, it's something they fell in water and didn't know how to swim or, you know, somebody pushed them in. And so what happens is there's this fear that becomes a phobia of, of just water in general and swimming. And so they just don't. They can't. I was watching this one video uh, and came across this individual and they had their camera out. So I knew they had to know something was about to happen. But they're in the water and this guy's in kind of like a floating tube in the ocean. And so he's swimming around, he's swimming around, like they're filming, they're kind of like, yeah, I can swim, like, look at this, like, so exciting. And next thing you know, you see this wave kind of come over and, and wash over him, and the tube pops out, and this guy begins freaking out. He's like, I can't swim, and he's like drowning where he's at. And so he's going, they're like, and, and the lady in the video, she's like, grab the, grab the, floaty. It's right there. Like, but he's just so disoriented and so panic stricken in this moment that he couldn't grab what would save him. Right. Next thing you know, like a couple more seconds into the video, all, you, all I see is this guy come walking across in his own tube and bring, bring the floaty and put it back over him. You see what happened in that moment was this guy lost sight that he was standing in about three feet of water. He was drowning in about three feet of water where all he had to do was stand up and he would be saved from what was panic strickening him in, in, in this moment. But I, I, I think about this story and I think about how this relates to our life and to our faith. And, and can I encourage you, like, be careful that you do not allow your fear to become your faith in the wrong thing. I think there are times where our fear can take our sight off what we know is right. And that the, the, the circumstances around us become the thing that our faith is rooted in. That we forget who's the one who can save us. That we forget who's the life raft. And I think we do this in a lot more situations than we recognize. I think the disciples did it in the story we were just reading. The disciples, though they, they had seen and experienced, like kind of seen all of Jesus' miraculous work, they had heard his teaching, like, like literally these are the people who were walking with Jesus. You would think they would be the ones who had seen the people who were uh, crippled and paralyzed stand up and walk, the ones who were blind see, that you would think that after seeing all these things that they would, they would say, you know what, Jesus has the power to save us from anything. And yet their fear overtook them. Whatever faith they had became fear, which led them to this unbelief that they missed sight of who their Messiah was. They let their natural storm become bigger than their supernatural God. And I don't know about you, but a question I have is this. Are there storms in your life that have caused you to lose sight of Jesus? Are there situations that you've walked through that make you question if he's really there? Are there situations that God, you feel like he's left you and abandoned you? Are there sin struggles that you've prayed for and tried to overcome, but yet are things that still have a stronghold on your life? Have some of your past mistakes that you've surrendered walked back into your life and caused you to lose sight of your savior or question your God? While we don't have the time to answer all those questions this morning and look at the scriptures, can I tell you that, that faith can turn into fear when your worries become bigger than your God? And we have to be so careful that we don't allow our worries and our concerns to become bigger than the God we serve. Because as soon as we let our worries and concerns 
in situations, in health diagnosis, in our own internal struggles become bigger than our God, we throw hope of being saved out the door. We throw it overboard. And we weather those storms only on our own strength and power. You see, before the Israelites took the promised land that God had given to them and the transition of power from Moses to Joshua as leader took place, you see a, a verse in Deuteronomy 31.8 that talks about a, a reassurance God gives to Joshua before they go and accomplish these things. He says this, Do not be afraid or discouraged, for the Lord will personally go ahead of you. He will be with you. He will neither fail you nor abandon you. And I love that bottom part there. Because it wasn't that God hadn't given them the promise or given them hope that there was land waiting for them. It wasn't that God's word wasn't true. It was saying, hey, you're about to go fight battles. You're about to deal with conflict. You're about to struggle through. But don't forget that I'm with you through it all. Don't forget that I have, ha I have you and that I am looking out for you and have your best interest in mind. You see, I don't know what all situations you're walking in here with today or watching with us today. There's personal struggles. There's family issues. There's physical issues in this world. There's health there's confusion, there's anger, there's frustration, there's bitterness towards the world, towards people, towards God. But can I encourage you that when we can trust our worries and, and cast our worries and anxieties on the Lord, that he is the one who is with us and, and that though Jesus might not physically be in our boat walking with us, that he has given us his spirit to help us navigate the treacherous waters that though we, we walk through and it might not feel like Jesus is there. And I think sometimes we, we make our faith too based upon how it feels so that when we don't feel Jesus, we question to say, is he really there? Where we have to also understand that God's word says that he will never leave us nor forsake us, even when it feels like he's not there, even when it seems like he's not working in your life. That we have to be reminded that God's word is true and reflect on those moments and trust those things to him and allow his Holy Spirit to work in our lives because he is always with us. And when we do this, it helps us to remember that even when it feels like Jesus is not around us, that we don't forget who's in our boat. It reminds us that he is there with us. Number three, when the miracle takes place, don't forget who is in your boat. So you see kind of this, this whole story. They take off. They're traveling at the time when they should have traveled. A storm comes. Jesus is sleeping. They're basically like, Jesus, do you not care? Like, are you just going to let us die? Like, you called us to something greater. We left everything for you. You're just going to let us die here in the sea? But you see what takes place in Mark 4, starting in verse 39. It says this, when Jesus woke up, he rebuked the wind and said to the waves, silence or peace be still. Suddenly the wind stopped and there was a great calm. Then he asked them, why are you afraid? Do you still have no faith? They were terrified and asked each other, who is this? Even the wind and the waves obey him. 
I read through this story a few times as I was preparing this message. And in the first time or two I read through, I looked back at it and I was just like, yeah, the disciples just, they, they had a faith fail moment. Like their faith failed. They did not trust who was in their boat. They had, they had seen all the miracles take place. They had known, they had, ex- all, but what happened was they never experienced Jesus. And there was this moment where they didn't just see what had happened. They experienced themselves being saved from the storm. And I would argue that this faith fail moment that we read was actually more of a faith strengthening moment in their lives. That while they failed and didn't hold true to God's word, you don't have to raise your hand, but how many of us have not always trusted in God and failed in our faith with him? That it wasn't the thing that defined their faith, but it was what they built their faith upon. That their faith fail experience was a moment that would begin a process of strengthening the disciples to truly know who their Messiah was and what he was asking them to do. Because if you look at the majority of who were on that boat, the majority of them died proclaiming the name of Jesus. They didn't fall fear to the storms or to the persecutions or to the jail or to the hanging on the cross that they experienced. They declared his name with their last breath because they had seen his power at work. And sometimes you have to go through the storm in order to experience the miracle. And that's the tough thing to swallow because we don't wanna deal with the storms. We want God to rescue us from all of that. We deal with enough in this world as it is, like, Lord, give us a break. But you have to go through the storms in order to experience the miracles. The day after Christmas this past year, about a month ago, um, you know, our, our family plan, plans kind of changed. Like COVID kind of hit a few of our family members. And um, so we had a smaller Christmas the day of. The day after, we were going to go to my wife's parents and celebrate with them. And so um, I have a two-and-a-half-year-old daughter, Ivy, and an eight-month-old son, Porter and, and Ivy was calling out uh, in our baby monitor. She's like, dad, get up. Like, I'm ready. Like Christmas, let's go. <laughs> you know, like she was, come get me. So I go in there and get her, but we're kind of like still laying in bed. So we come back and all four of us are just kind of snuggling in bed. And Ivy is just like a motor mouth. Like from the time she wakes up till the time she goes to bed, she just doesn't shut up. Like seriously. <laughs> six o'clock hits and I'm like, oh, it's only six o'clock. A couple more hours. <laughs> But she's also moving and climbing and going all over. And uh, this morning, she wa- that morning, she wasn't doing that. And so we're like, hey, are, do you not feel good? Like, what's going on? She wouldn't answer us. And so my wife is like, hey, go get, go get a thermometer. Let's check her temperature. And so I, I had to go downstairs to do that. By the time I come back up, I come back up and my wife's in tears. And she's like, she's, she's gone limp. Like, she just won't respond. And so fast forward that whole situation, we called 911, EMS comes, and I'm carrying my little girl just limp, like her eyes barely awake, down, not knowing what's going on. And in that moment, I, 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 I was just filled with fear. God, what, what is this? Like, why is this happening? What is happening to my baby girl? 
We ended up in the emergency room because she just wasn't getting better. Her blood sugars were dropping. Just all of this happens. We spent a couple nights in the, the hospital and um, come to find out she had a seizure that morning. And so through all of that, I can remember sitting in the emergency room. She's passed out asleep, hooked up to IVs, like just my girl's just sitting there wondering, is she going to wake up? And uh, I can remember just being so full of fear, but in a moment recognizing there was nothing else I could do in that moment. And, and I can remember as we walked out to the ambulance, even just praying over her and committing in that time, God, she's in your hands. You are our healer. And I can remember sitting in the ER, sending a text out to a few people, just saying, we're in the ER, Ivy's, pray for Ivy. And can I tell you from that moment I sent that text, we started to see improvement. She woke up, first thing she has to do was let's go make cookies. I was like, all right, Ivy's back. But I, I have to believe, I believe this, that in that moment there was a miracle that took place. That in our moment of need, in my storm, when I was holding on so tight, just wondering what I could do, recognizing there was nothing else I could do, that God was in control. And I believe there was a healing. I, we don't know why it happened or what caused the seizure. But she's been good. And something that I was reminded of in that moment is that an encounter with Jesus can change the outcome of any storm. That just a touch of Jesus can change the outcome of any circumstance you're in. That just an experience or just a word from Jesus can calm the storms in your life. You know, I share that and also recognize that for some of you, you're probably watching or you're sitting here and you're saying, you know what, I did pray that. God didn't heal. God didn't help. I can also remember that about seven years ago, when my, my sister was unresponsive and, and not breathing, watching her get carried out to an ambulance to never come home. And I can remember praying then, God, you can heal her. God, you have that power. And in a very weird, not a weird way, in a very God way, I felt this peaceful voice over me that said, I already have. And I'm thankful for it. But it didn't take the pain away. It doesn't take the hurt. It doesn't change the circumstance. But I was given strength and peace to navigate a storm that was already outside of my control. And so I don't know what storm you're dealing with. Maybe you've been praying for healing and God has not answered it. I think a lot of ways from my experiences that God works in ways that often we can't understand. And it's difficult to, to be okay with, but at some point we have to trust that God has things in control.
And so where you're at right now, whether you're watching online or in A2 or here, would you, would you close your eyes in this moment as we wrap up? And the question that I have for you to consider is what kind of storm are you going through? You know, I've listed a lot of different things. Maybe not yours specifically, but it's been a, a physical issue. Some sort of sickness or diagnosis or loss of life that has maybe even turned into an emotional issue where your personality has changed, your depression has flared up, your anxiety has become uncontrollable, your anger and bitterness towards God and people in the world is just over the top. That your storm is in your wake crashing over and filling your boat. That for some of us today, you have to get to that point and make a decision to say, though I might be in the middle of my storm, I don't want to go through my storm anymore without having Jesus in my boat. And so as we wrap up, my question is this, is how, who in here and who watching would say, you know what, I'm going through a storm, but I, want, I don't want to go through it without Jesus anymore. I need him in my life and in my boat. And we're going to pray in just a moment. But if that's you, with every eye closed, I just want to ask you to raise your hand so I know who I'm praying with, who we're praying for. Awesome. Right here online, auditorium two. You can raise your hand and put it right back down. Hands all over, yeah. Hey, whether you raised your hand or you're a follower of Jesus, would you pray this prayer with me? Would you say, dear Jesus, I admit my need for you. Forgive me of my sins and fill me with your Holy Spirit. Help me to navigate my storm and look to you for my peace. Thank you for your great mercy and consistent love for me. I ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Hey, if you are able, would you stand with us? And can I encourage you? We're about to sing the song, Every Victory, we sang a little bit ago. And that it might not always feel like it, but when we come before God with worship, that worship becomes our we weapon for victory. So whatever storm you're facing, I found that sometimes in the need where I'm holding things so close that an, that an act in a response of worship and releasing that to God changes the outcome of my situations. So if that's you, I would encourage you as, as Patrick and the team leads us, would we worship God and allow this to be a moment where victory is experienced through God's spirit. Lord, we come before you and ask that in these moments you would be at work. Holy Spirit, come. We need you. We want you. And we pray that you would work now. In your name, amen. We will lift our eyes. We won't fear 
fight There is one who's stronger Hard pressed on each side We will not lose sight Of the one who's greater There's only one name One name, one name Holds every victory One voice that silences the enemy One king 